Another favorite. We spend $85.9 billion trying to treat back pain, which is as much as we spend on all of the country's state, city, county, and town police forces. And experts say that as much as half of that is unnecessary. We've created a system with 1.5 million people working in the health insurance industry, but with barely half as many doctors providing the actual care. And most do not ride the healthcare gravy train the way hospital administrators, drug company bosses, and imaging equipment salesmen do. I liked to point out that Medtronic, which makes all varieties of medical devices, from surgical tools to pacemakers, is so able to charge sky-high prices that it enjoys nearly double the gross profit margin of Apple, considered to be the jewel of American high-tech companies. And all of those high-tech advances, pacemakers, MRIs, 3D mammograms, have produced an irony that epitomized how upside-down the healthcare marketplace is. This is the only industry where technology advances have increased costs instead of lowering them. When it comes to medical care, cutting-edge products are irresistible. They are used, and priced, accordingly. And because we don't control the prices of prescription drugs the way every other developed country does, we typically spend 50% more on them than what people or governments everywhere else spend. Meanwhile, nine of the ten largest pharmaceutical companies in the world have signed settlement agreements with federal prosecutors, paying millions or even billions in criminal and civil penalties for violating laws involving kickbacks and illegal marketing of their products. Nine out of ten. To prove how healthcare had become an alternative universe economy amid a country struggling with frozen incomes and crushing deficits, much of it from healthcare spending, I could recite from memory how the incomes of drug and medical device industry executives had continued to skyrocket even during the recession, and how much more the president of the Yale New Haven Health System made than the president of Yale University. I even knew the outsized salary of the guy who ran the supposedly non-profit hospital where I was struggling to fall asleep, $3.58 million. Which brings me to the dream I had when I finally got to sleep. As I am being wheeled toward the operating room, a man in a finely tailored suit stands in front of the gurney, puts his hands up, and orders the nurses to stop. It's the hospital's CEO, the $3.58 million a year, Stephen Corwin. He, too, had read the much-publicized Time piece, only he hadn't liked it nearly as much as Jon Stewart, who had had me on his daily show to talk about it. We know who you are, he says, and we are worried about whether this is some kind of undercover stunt. Why don't you go to another hospital? I don't try to argue with him about gluttonous profits or salaries, or the back pain money, or the possibility that he was overusing his MRI or CT scan equipment. Instead, I swear to him that my surgery is for real and that I would never say anything bad about his hospital. Remembering a bait-and-switch billing trick common at some hospitals that I had written about, though not this one, as far as the non-dreaming me knew, I even blurt out, I don't care if the anesthesiologist isn't in my insurance network. Just please let me go in. A week before, I could have given hospital bosses like him the sweats, making them answer questions about the dysfunctional healthcare system they prospered from, their salaries, the operating profits enjoyed by their non-profit, non-taxpaying institutions, and most of all, 
the outrageous charges. $77 for a box of gauze pads, or hundreds of dollars for a routine blood test, that could be found on what they called their charge master, which was the menu of list prices they used to soak patients who did not have Medicare or private insurance. How could they explain those prices, I love to ask, let alone explain charging them only to the poor and others without insurance who could least afford to pay? But now, I am the one sweating. I beg Corwin to let me into his operating room so I can get one of his charge masters. If one of the nurses peering over me as he stopped me at the door had suggested it, I'd have bought a year's supply of those $77 gauze pads. I didn't care about the cost of the anesthesiologist, who the afternoon before had told me that her job was to keep my brain supplied with blood and oxygen during the three or four hours that they were going to stop my heart. Stop my heart? No one had told me about that.